morning, guys. How's everybody doing this morning? So, as I was walking out of big church earlier, I realized I made what is now my second beginner mistake as a Texan. I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt again, and it's still too hot out for this. Walked outside this morning. It was fine. It was like 60-something. I was like, oh, I'll do the long sleeve shirt. Nope. So we're going to be continuing today through our study of Philippians, but I want to start that out with a story from my own life and kind of just share with you guys one of my absolute favorite activities in the world, and that's caving. So who here has ever been real caving? Spelunking. Yeah, like real caving. Okay, I don't see very many hands. Few of you. But it is so much fun. And I tried to dig up some pictures of this, but I couldn't find any. So you're going to just have to imagine this. But back whenever I was in, like, seventh grade, I had, like, real long hair, and I was a little, like, awkward middle schooler. And I went caving for the first time. And we go to this place called Laurel Caverns. And they have miles and miles of caves going deep down into this mountain. In Pennsylvania, we got real mountains, not around here where it's like, you guys call something a mountain. I'm like, that's like, I see I have five of those in my backyard. Like, that's not a mountain. But so we went caving, spelunking, and we put on the hard hats, we put on the headlamps, and we're going down through these caverns. Um, we're, we're down there for a couple hours. For some reason, our youth leader thought it was a good idea to take middle schoolers into a cave. Um, but it happened, and we're making our way through, sometimes getting down and crawling through streams that you're soaked and you're cold, and I just loved it. But we get, to the, we get near the end, and the guide, he, he knows the area, so he has us turn off all of our lights. And we do, and it's pitch black. Like, I'm not talking about, like, midnight when, there's, when it's a new moon and there's no, no light in the sky and you can still see stuff. I'm talking, put your hand an inch from your face. You can't see it, darkness. And before he did this, he had us line up and put our hand on the person's shoulder in front of us and crouch down. We do that, and then he tells us to go forward and find our way up this path and then slide down this, this natural chute that's in these caves, and you'll come right back around to where you're at. And, like, it's, it was safe. He knew that there, that was the only path we could take. And we're, we're going through the darkness and everything. None of us can see anything. We're following the person in front of us. Finally, we finish this, and we're trying to all, like, sit around. We think we're all looking towards our leader now. And our youth leader pulls out this little tiny flashlight, turns it on. It was one of those kind of flashlights that you kind of just throw away if you have anywhere else because it's just there, it's, there's no brightness coming from it. But down here in these caves, I'm telling you, it lit up the room like it was the sun. Like shadows flying everywhere. You can see almost everything. And it was like this brand new light brought so much light to this darkness. And I want you guys to kind of capture that mental picture in your minds as we go through this text this morning. Because I think it relates heavily to what Paul is talking about here. So I'm going to go ahead and just read through the passage, and then we're going to start, then we're going to go through it. So we're in Philippians 2, 12 through 18. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, if you, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you so that you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So what's the context that Paul's talking about here? So we've been going through Philippians for a few weeks now, and if you remember, there's, we have this outline for Philippians that I think um, I put up on a slide that they can put up there for you guys. Chapter 1, verse 1 through 26, is this encouragement from Paul. He's writing them from prison, and Dave kind of talked about how for some reason there's this reality where the people going through the hardest times end up being the ones doing the most encouraging. He used the example of Gary and how he's going through cancer, but he seems to be the one encouraging so many people with his story and the hardship that he goes through. And he carried that, and Paul carries that idea through to the, and continues to encourage them in the way that the gospel is advanced, even in light of the fact that some people are preaching it out of false motives. And then he transitions a little bit, and he says, and he gives them this challenge to live lives worthy of the gospel. And Kim talked about that a little bit, um, continuing on whenever that, from that in verse 27 to verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2, where we get this, where, where Paul starts to lead into the example that he's going to give us for this. And we see that we're supposed to live with joy, with peace, with love. And then he gives the example, which Dave went through last week, which is Christ. And that was their example to follow, and that is our example to follow, of Christ being the, the perfect manifestation of the challenge that he had given. And then now, in, ver- in chapter 2, uh, verses 12 through 18, we're going to see the reason why. And that's to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and shine like stars. So, starting at the very beginning of this verse, there's that, that word, therefore. And one of the things that my youth pastor always taught me growing up was anytime you see the word, therefore, in Scripture, you have to ask what it's there for. So it's therefore the reason that Paul is transitioning into this, into this section of Scripture. And he says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So, this idea of working out our salvation with fear and trembling. First thing to notice is that this is not just applying to some people. This is applying to all of us. He says, my dear friends. He, when, when we look at what meaning that has attached to it in the Greek, he's only talking to the believers. So this is something to do with the salvation they already have in Christ. And they're continuing to work that out. This isn't unbelievers working for their salvation. This is addressed to believers. And also, he says, tied in with that idea of, uh, my dear friends, it's all believers. It's not just a few of them. It's young, old, everyone alike. Also, there's this idea of integrity. 
It says, as you obeyed in my presence, now much more in my absence. It's this idea that whether or not he's there, whether or not he's not there, whether or not you all listening to this are here, whether you're at school, no matter who's around, this same way of acting should define you. That's the idea of integrity. Whenever no one's looking, how do you act? And he says to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. This is the answer to a lot of questions that Paul's developed so far in the text. He says in, um, I believe it's verse 21, that for him to live is Christ. And we're asked, well, what does that mean? How? Verse 27, he says, um, to to live lives worthy of the gospel. Well, how do we do that, Paul? Well, the answer is here, and it's to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But we need to define terms here because... This, the salvation that he's talking about isn't being saved in the way that we talk about it with Jesus on the cross. See, Scripture talks about salvation in three very distinct ways. There's a past, a present, and a future tense that salvation is used in. And if we misunderstand which of these Paul's talking about, we're going to drastically misinterpret. So, with past salvation, Paul's talking about justification. Okay, it's this theological word that basically is summed up in saying that we are saved from the penalty of sin. That's what Jesus won for us on the cross, our justification. So we have right judicial standing before the Father. We get to spend eternity with him in heaven. And then there's the present reality of sin and sanctification and salvation. And that is this, this idea of sanctification, that we are saved progressively from the power and practice of sin. And then finally, whenever Scripture talks about salvation, and this is the tense that Paul was probably using several um, at the beginning or at the end of chapter one, is this idea of glorification. This is the ultimate salvation that we receive, where we are saved from the very presence of sin in heaven. So, which of these is Paul talking about? He's almost certainly, not almost, he most certainly is talking about sanctification. This continuing of us being saved from the, pen, or from the power and practice of sin. So, with that in mind, we're, we're continuing to live out what Christ, the example Christ has set for us. And the question remains of, okay, so on whose power am I doing that? Well, that question is answered for us in verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This verse gives me a lot of comfort because it reminds me that it isn't up to me whether or not I will grow. When we look back on verse or chapter one, verse six, we see that Paul says, "Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion until the coming day of Christ." So, we have a promise that God will carry to completion the work that He has started in us. That doesn't free us from any res- from, from responsibility because we still there's still response some responsibility on our side. Okay, when Dave first talked about this, he used the example of a plant and a farmer, and I want to continue to develop that because farmers are some of the most faithful people I've ever met in my life. A farmer recognizes that when they plant a seed, they cannot make it grow, but that doesn't mean that they aren't tilling the soil before they plant it. It doesn't mean that they're not making sure that they. The soil is rich in nutrients. It doesn't mean that they're not trying to protect it from insects and animals 
they're doing what they can to help it grow, but they recognize that it's not their power that's going to make it grow. They can't make the seed grow. And that's, I think that's the image that we should have for us whenever we think about our growing and our relationship with God. God is going to make it grow. It's his power. We can't do that. But similar to how the farmer tends the soil, we can read scripture, we can pray, we can do these things knowing that they, don't, they won't make us grow. But God will honor that and God has promised to make us grow. We are work, simply working out what God has already worked in us and what God is continuing to work in us. Some more wise remain, though. So this is, a, this is a command of Scripture to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And one of the things that I always was confused with, anytime there was a command in Scripture, I would just ask why. I mean, when, I think all of us, when we were younger, maybe we still do. When somebody tells us to do something, we ask why, and we want a real answer. And how many of you are sometimes disappointed with the answers that, like, your parents or authorities in your life will give you for why? Yeah, I definitely see some hands over here. <laughs> Yeah, I think most of us are. What was that? <laughs> right, so why? There's these questions of why. Well, all the commands of God have two things for the why. They give us protection and they have a purpose. So what's the protection here with sanctification? This, this command to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, if the idea of sanctification is being, pra- is being saved from the power and practice of sin, then sanctification is saving us from the consequences of sin. I think most of us see a lot of the consequences of sin in our daily lives. Like we, we see what happens when people do things that are wrong and the consequences that are associated with that. And if we're being conformed to the image of Christ, then we will be saved from not making those mistakes and having those consequences for sin. But then there's also this other side, okay, so we're saved from consequences for sin at times through sanctification, but there's also a purpose. And that purpose is revealed in the next few verses. Picking up in verse 15, Paul says, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. So the protection is from sin. The purpose is to shine among them like stars in the sky. Stars provide a huge contrast to darkness. When we see light, we never confuse it for darkness. Think like, when you turn on a light, you know the light's on. So the purpose is to shine among them like stars, but what does that actually accomplish? And I think that we can see what that accomplishes in Matthew 5.14. So um, in Matthew 5.14, this is a pretty famous passage. This is whenever Jesus is talking about uh, being salt and light. So Matthew 5.14 through 16 reads, You are the light of the world. A town on a, built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that, you may, that they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. 
so it's still this idea of light. Stars are light among darkness, right? Like, I, I, I love looking at stars, not because I'm looking at all the darkness in between the stars, but because I'm seeing these specks of light. And then here, it's using the, the idea of a city on a hill. Um, it's using the idea of a lamp on a stand. And both of these are pretty important here. Think about a city on a hill. If there's um, a traveler, okay, and he's, see, he's walking around. We don't do much walking anymore, especially not from town to town. Most of us drive. But if you can put yourself in those shoes for a minute and you're coming around a corner or a hill and you see lights in the distance back in first century, you're going to think it's a city, right? And you're going to go towards that thinking, okay, I can rest. I can have a break from all that I've been going through. Now imagine that when you get there, there's nothing there. So what's the purpose of the light? So there's a city there. So, and I think we see that um, in the next verse. If you guys will go back to Philippians with me. We read, as you hold firmly to the word of life. Okay, they're shining like stars and holding firmly to the word of life. The word of life, I'm not going to spend a lot of time developing this thought, but it's Jesus. Jesus is described as the word. He is the word of life. And we are to hold firmly to him. This idea of holding firmly isn't just ooh, holding tight and like hiding it from everybody. No, that's the exact opposite. The word firmly here is talking about holding firmly and holding forward something. So we are to hold forward the word of life. We are to hold forward the gospel. We are to hold forward Jesus. And if we miss that, then when people see the light and they come they're not, and they don't find anything, then the light didn't have a purpose. Light may draw attention, but it's worthless if there's nothing there to be seen. But for us, what's to be seen is Christ. It's to be shared as the gospel. It's a living water for the weary traveler to be able to drink from and find rest. But between this thought from work out your salvation with fear and trembling on this side of it, shine like stars in the sky. There's a, a qualifying verse, I would call it. And that's verse 14 we skipped over, but it reads, do everything without grumbling or arguing. I'm going to read that again. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. <laughs> okay, this is something I know I've struggled with, still struggle with, and I'm just going to assume that a lot of us here struggle with this as well. I think it yeah, it might be great if so-and-so, one of your friends, needs help with something. And you're like, yeah, I'll help you. But then while you're driving there, you're just thinking, man, why am I doing this? And I'm sure you've been there. And there might be a good reason for you thinking like that. But if your mind is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm just, like, if, if you're grumbling to yourself and your mind is saying, well, I'm just doing this because I'm a Christian and it's what I'm supposed to do, that disqualifies the, net, the rest of this. That isn't truly working out what God has already worked in you. That isn't being light. If you're grumbling and arguing, you aren't doing something because you love Jesus. You're doing it out of some sort of false feeling of compulsion that you have within you. Now, certainly, 
this isn't talking about expressing concern. Like, I think one of the things I love about being here working with Dave is I know that if I'm concerned about something, I can go to him and express that. If, he, if one of us ha- has an idea, if he has an idea, I'm allowed to express my concerns with that. But that's not what this verse is talking about. This is talking about the, the grumbling, the, the gossip that goes on, where there's no good intention behind it. You're not trying to make something better. You're just being bitter. And that's, that's huge here because that, the verse, verse 14 that says do everything without grumbling or arguing is what leads into this idea of shining like stars in the sky. And if you're grumbling and arguing about everything, then even if it looks like, oh, this might be something good, it's not light. It's not casting light into darkness. It's just darkness. So, Paul then goes on from here, and he says, But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So what's, what is a drink offering, first of all? We're not... We don't have any experience a lot of times with the Jewish sacrificial system unless we've studied that, and I would highly doubt that many of you have done that. But this idea of a drink offering was a sacrifice of something, some valuable drink or perfume or something poured out upon a much larger sacrifice. So Paul's saying, even if I'm being poured out as simply an accompanying sacrifice on the service and sacrifice coming from your faith. I rejoice in that. There's a few things that we can learn from this. First of all, Paul isn't necessarily concerned with what his sacrifice accomplishes. Okay, Paul isn't trying to be the big sacrifice. He's saying, no, even if it's just to go side by side with your sacrifice, I'm fine with that. But secondly, he says, the service and sacrifice coming from your faith. Paul's just, all throughout this, Paul's developing one thought, and that is that sacrifice and service will come from your faith, that that is the light, that that is us working out our salvation with fear and trembling, that sacrifice and service will come from true faith. So all of this works together, and that is true sacrifice and service that is done without grumbling and without arguing. And he's saying that that will come from our faith. It's a beautiful mirror to Romans 12, 1. Where he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your, your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That is your true and proper act of worship. Our worship to God is a life of obedience, a life of a living sacrifice. And as we've seen, Paul lives that out completely. Not perfectly. But he's lived his life as a sacrifice from the moment God called him. Our sacrifice is this life of obedience. So before we break up into our time of discussion, I just want to really challenge you with that thought of if you reflect on yourself and ask yourself, is, is my life characterized as a believer by a life of 
is? Or is it not? Am I truly living this out? This isn't, am I I being light? Am I being these stars in the sky? Is Christ's light shining through me, making this light in the darkness? Being this example, because I'm following my example of Christ. Not perfectly, but being perfected day by day. That's so key. None of us are perfect. All of us are struggling. All of us will sin. Or are we being perfected day by day to reflect the image of Christ? Go ahead and break up into your discussion groups and yeah, answer the questions that you have for you. Ooh, yeah.